0: Really hope this is good all right cool um if we can just get the timer started we got that awesome um cool so i'm gonna start with prayer because i desperately need it so dearly father god we just thank you so much for today we thank you for all the ways you've already encountered us today lord we thank you that you're just alive jesus we invite you to hang out holy spirit we just say flood this place because otherwise what's the point we thank you, God, and just be in my words, God, and just set our hearts on fire tonight. In your name, amen. Oh, I'm like still kind of like right in the high of those testimonies. Is our God alive? Yeah? Can we just, yes? Oh, okay. I'm amped right now. You guys are just such warriors. I love it. Cool. So, we're going to do story time. Yeah. This is going to be an intense story time, so ready yourself. Um, So tonight, we're basically going to talk about fear, right? And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert right now about how this night's going to end, and this night's going to end with God breaking fear off of people. That's just, that's what he told me. So, spoiler alert, get ready for that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I was praying today when I was asked to speak, in the last week or so, I was just praying, God, what do you want me to talk about? Because I don't want to just come up with something that's like, oh, I want to talk about this. I want to be like, God, what do you want me to do? what do you have in store for that night what is your will for that night um and i was actually in the booth sunday doing tech and i just got like the download like i had the full sermon just like in my brain and i felt like god was saying like this i was like oh that's awesome and immediately it took the pressure off me because my job is to deliver it not to get public reaction so like i'm excited because either way god's will is going to go down right now um and so i'm really excited um I do think it's interesting that it's fear, though, because that is something that has such a very close tie to my life, or at least it did. Um, So I want to talk a little bit. I bought a prop, because props are fun. Yes, do we all see what this is? Are you all familiar with this? So, what do you guys see when you look at this? A sandwich bag, yeah, a lunch bag, one of those little brown paper bags. Awesome, cool, Um, yeah. I actually do not see that kind of bag when I see this. Um, When I was younger, um, yeah. (laughs) How many people know what a hypochondriac is? Yeah, you guys know what that is? It's the people that are, like, radically concerned about their own health in such a way that they kind of, like, get all, like, psychosemitic and kind of induce all of these things on themselves. Um, So I had that. Um, And there were times where, like, people told me, like, well, what's a good way to, like, deal with that? And it was like, breathe into one of these paper bags, right? And so, like, I did that. And so I was the kid at the playground with a little paper bag after the lunch was done, breathing into the corner, right? And it would calm me down, but people didn't tell me that the reason why is because I started breathing in more carbon dioxide. So I was starting to, like, pass out. Um, So anyway, let's backtrack. We'll get up to that point. Um, When I was about five years old, um, my parents enrolled me in Tri-City Christian over in Vista. Yeah, we got some alumni up in here um what's really <laughs> what's really interesting about that is like none of my family was christian at that point it was just we lived in vista we lived about three blocks away and the test scores were better than the things around and so my parents were like we'll enroll them and my according to my parents my dad said but what about this christian stuff and my mom's like well our parents were kind of catholic isn't that close enough so they're like just kind of like play through you know um And even though my parents weren't really practicing anything, they were really good about, yeah, there's a God. What's God? He made everything. Oh, cool. Five-year-old, that's all I needed. I was like, awesome, there's a God. Um, And it's like, yeah, where did this come from? Where did this come from? God, God, God. That was just the answer, because I was inquisitive, and everything was just God. So going into this school, though, I felt like I knew God, kind of, you know? Um, And I remember my kindergarten teacher, there was one day where she basically shared the gospel with a bunch of little five-year-olds. And she was talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And all of these people, so many of them grew up in Sunday school. So many of them came from Christian households, and they knew it. And I remember literally she's doing this, this whole lecture about this guy Jesus. And finally I just raised my hand. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, who's Jesus? And they're like, it's God's son. And immediately I'm just like, God had a son? <laughs> like this is entirely new information. How long has God have a son, you know? And I'm, like, amped out of my mind um, because I'm really blessed to have just incredibly loving parents. And so when I think there's a son, I was like, man, that kid must be loved. Man, that guy, that, that guy must be really loved, you know? Um, and so I'm just, like, I was basically like, tell me more about Jesus. And I hear about him. And she looks at me, and she's just like, well, Jesus loves you. And I did the thing, like, my old doe-eyed, like, me? Like, he loves me? I didn't think he knew me, but he loves me. And, again, I grew up in an incredibly loving, stable household. So, like, I knew what love looked like. And so immediately I didn't even doubt it. It was just like, wow, I'm loved by this totally other random dude. I don't know who is apparently the son of everything. Like, oh my gosh. Um, And I was so excited, you know? And I love that Jesus talks about childlike faith because when you're a child, you have childlike faith. And like, let me tell you something about that. You're just raring to go. And so the teacher says, Jesus loves you. Wow. That's amazing. And then she's like, but he died. And I was like, I just fell in love with this guy. Like, what do you mean he died? Like, what do you mean he died, you know? And I didn't even really have a good grasp of death. Like, I saw some hamsters get massacred. But other than that, like, I was pretty – I was like, death is horrifying. Like, what do you mean he died? Like, you know? And so, like, every five-year-old, I start crying at this news. And so she's like, but it's okay. He actually died for you. And I was like, oh, like, you know, I was like, it's my fault. Like, oh. And again, like, this might not be the way to deliver to the gospel, the five-year-old, but it works, so whatever. Um, But it's like, for me, oh, my gosh, you know? Um, And I'm, like, inconsolable, but she was just like, it's okay, though, because he came back. And immediately, it's, like, the best day of my life. Again, childlike faith, like, I just took it, and I'm just like, he came back. Why would he come back? He came back so he could be with you forever. He, he came back so he could be in your heart together so that you could be for, to, like, together forever. And he could just love you forever if you just give your life to him. And so I said the little sinner's prayer and accepted Jesus into my life. Yeah, great story. I love it. I love it. Um, and what happened after that is, like, I like to believe I got kind of radical. I don't remember much from this period except for my mom got saved. I remember one of my earliest memories was literally at the dining table with her and I was just like coloring or something and I looked up at her and I said, mom, you need to know Jesus. And she's like, what? And I was like, and we need to start going to church. And she's just like, what? And I, ba- I literally told my mom, this is one of my earliest memories. I told my mom, like, give me your hands. She's like, okay. I was just like, do you want to accept Jesus into your life? And she started crying. And I was just like, Okay. And then I just basically did what my awesome kindergarten teacher slash revivalist taught me. Um, And, like, my mom accepted Christ, you know? And it's, like, it's crazy to me because you know what childlike faith does? Wonders, (laughs) you know? Um, And I was so, so blessed by it. So, so blessed by it. Um, But one of the unfortunate things about being in a household where you're not raised Christian and when your parents don't know what to do, and when you don 't really go to church right away um, is that they can't tell you to look out they can't tell you that there's spiritual warfare they can't tell you that there's a very real enemy to the faith that want to pluck out even little kids that just have a heart that the only thing I knew was that i 'm loved by Jesus and he 's with me, and people need to know that was it. And you know what I grew up and like I filled myself with a thousand other facts that didn 't matter as much as that one, you know um, but what ended up happening was I was around five years old. It was not too soon after this. Um, I started to just get these terrible nightmares. We're talking like waking up screaming, waking up crying, waking up. I woke up one time in a pool of blood. That was freaky. Like other story for another day. But like horrible, horrible, horrible nightmares. Um, and it got to the point where like, like, and it wasn't just like one nightmare every so often. It was like a nightmare every day. And then it was, like, six every night. And, like, how many of you guys have seen the movie Inception? I think they stole my idea. So back in, like, 95 or 96, whenever this was, I started dreaming like that where it was, like, stacked, you know. And I started dreaming in the way where it was, like, time got really relative. And all I knew is I was just trapped in all of these nightmares every night. And, like, that shouldn't happen to a five-year-old or anyone, you know. You know, at first, I'd wake up, and my parents were awesome. I'd, like, crawl into their bed and, like, just kind of, like, protect me. Things are scary, you know. Um, but parents do what parents do, and they're like, you know what? Like, it's okay. It's just a bad dream. There's nothing, there's nothing around. Um, but what started happening with these nightmares were at night, I would see the faces of all of my peers at school or my family, and they just did terrible things to me, or they just talked me down, or they just hurt me, or they just did all of these things that when I woke up, it was harder to trust them. And I woke up and I was so scared because even though they were there and they were loving and they were kind, I would still see all the ways I'd I'd been hurt in my dreams. And sometimes when they weren't even there, the dreams were just dread. I had a period of my life where for a year and a half, I could not, like, through this whole period, I could never wake up from my dreams. And there was a period in my life where literally the only way I could wake up is if I killed myself in every dream. That was the only way I could wake up. And it's horrible because some dreams I wasn't even in. And literally at the end, I would just show up and, like, blow my brains out. And let me tell you something about that. That can scare you, you know? That can really mess things up a lot when it's like you have six dreams a night where time is all relative, and then you wake up and try to function like a normal human being. Um, And it was one of those things where, like, I had the nightmares enough that it got to the point where, like, I could see I was just taxing my parents, you know? So I stopped bringing it up. I stopped mentioning it. Um, But I started to develop just, like, these weird fear reactions. I realized I was not as vocal with things. I realized I didn't trust people as well. I realized I was not as happy-go-lucky because I, every every corner I was nervous. Every corner I was just darting around like, what's going to happen? Where's, where's something going to come out? Every every single time, everywhere. Um, because when you dream that much in such a way, it's like you feel like you've lived longer in dreams than in real life. And it becomes really hard to trust things. And I remember it got to the point where I started to have these like panic attacks basically. For anyone who's ever dealt with anxiety and stuff of this ilk, um, panic attacks suck. And it got to the point where like, I really just felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was drawing in about half the breath I was supposed to be able to, out of nowhere. And I'd literally just like fall over, because I'd, I'd freak out and like just cling at my throat and at my lungs trying to breathe, to the point where they sent me to the doctors, because they were good parents, praise the Lord. Um, and the doctors were like, he's fine. Like They tested me for asthma, because my brother had that. He's like, no, his, his lungs are fine. I don't know what's going on. So they recommended a child psychologist, and this, this kid sits me down. At this point, I think I'm like, I don't know, like eight or nine. And the psychologist is like, you're a hypochondriac. Basically, like, it's all in your head, you know? And I remember even at that age thinking, that's great if it's all in my head, but it's still a reality I'm dealing with. So what do I do? And it wasn't a Christian psychologist, and my parents were still really new in the faith, and they didn't understand that some of these things could be linked to a spirit of fear it's just like every kid is scared of the dark. The truth is sometimes there's stuff in the dark. Sometimes we have a very real enemy that will do anything to crush faith. And I know for me, like I was a little boy of faith until stuff came against me and I didn't know what to do. And I gave into this fear, you know? Um, so the guy tells me to breathe into this little bag. I kept it everywhere and I did. And it made me feel awkward and uncomfortable because then like, I'm the guy that people are staring at with the bag. Um, at the end of the day, it's like, doesn't really help that much because whatever, it's not Jesus. Um, But basically, I want you guys to understand because I I just, I grew up like this. Like, I grew up in such a way that, like, anxiety and fear was just part of my life. I literally had nightmares every so often for years where it was just this dude would walk out and say, you're going to die before you're 18. Like, that was the dream, recurring dream. You're just going to die before you're 18. And so it's like everything in me was twisted in such a way that, like, 24, yeah no praise with that yeah that guy was wrong so like it's one of those things though that like it twisted everything my whole my whole lens because the thing about fear and the thing about when we're afraid is it twists everything but somehow we still think we're thinking clearly that just because all of our senses are like super heightened for some horrible reason we think that our minds must be heightened as well we think that we always know oh there's something right behind here oh oh no or like we we think all these things and everything's all twisted up you know um But I grew up with these things, and I had nightmares consistently, um, about six a night on average, um, for 18 years. Um, I got delivered from this last year, actually. Um, Yeah, praise the Lord. Um, Yeah, yeah. But I bring this up just to share, because it's not something I, like, love talking about, but I bring up this to share that, like, I dealt with a lot of fear, and I dealt with a lot of anxiety, and that is so much part of my testimony, And the thing I hate the most about or not the most about it, but the thing I hate about it a lot is I know a lot of other people deal with it, but it's something that people brush under the rug or don't like to talk about because it makes us feel ashamed. It makes us feel really small. It makes us feel weak. And somehow that gets compounded as we get older until people have mental breakdowns. We think just because we're older, we shouldn't be battling this. Or like, I should have dealt with this earlier, and now it would be embarrassing if I said, sometimes I'll walk into situations and I feel like I can't even breathe. Or sometimes we think we're too old that, like, I'm just afraid. I can't even sleep at night. And I want to vocalize this because there is a spirit of fear. And it is not the spirit we're supposed to have. And the thing is, the truth is, it's not just we're afraid of the dark. Sometimes we just have a very real enemy that uses fear to get in the way of what we're supposed to do. And I believe we're speaking about this tonight because God wants to break that off, people. Yeah. So... Anyway, moving away from story time a little bit, um, one of those things when we deal with fear and anxiety, we get twisted up, we we just don't remember what God said. (laughs) So I got a lot of scripture. The first one's out of Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. I'm just going to bullet through this really quick. It says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? that we have a good, good father that provides. We forget. And we believe these lies that the spirit of fear tells us, that we're not gonna have enough, that we're not gonna make it, that I could die tomorrow, that all of these things, and we forget that he's a good, good father. And when we choose to indulge the spirit of fear and the spirit of anxiety that says, what do I do? What do I, what do, we forget that God says, I am your provider. I am a good father that gives good, good gifts to his children and we choose to believe lies when god says no this is me this is i'm true and if you believe that you're not believing me why else is fear bad number 1 fear is paralyzing i became paralyzed i became a thing you know the next time i saw someone get saved after my mom about a year or two ago that was almost a full 17 or 18 years before i saw someone get saved and it's not all about the numbers but I think it's interesting that when I was just running on faith, that next, like, month, people really close to me got saved. And then when I embraced fear, when I embraced all these things that paralyzed me, that shut me down, that quieted me up, that kept me from just loving people like God wanted me to love people, I didn't see God moving. I didn't see the fruit that was supposed to be there, and I was just paralyzed. And the, the truth is about the spirit of fear is we can become slaves to fear. One thing I'll tell you about those nightmares, one thing I'll tell you about this whole experience is that I felt like I was being tormented and I did not know why. I didn't have people that spoke into my life or like, I think that there's something more going on here for a long, long time. And I was being tormented and I didn't realize it. And why I'm bringing that up is because you might not have the same background, you might not have the same situation as me, but maybe there's areas in your life where you struggle with anxiety or fear or worry and maybe it's doing the same thing and you don't even realize it all you know is I don't feel free. I certainly don't feel at peace. I feel like I'm tormented and I don't know what to do. And sometimes we forget that we're supposed to be looking at that and trying to get it out of our lives. (laughs) And we just become slaves to it and we just keep shuffling on in chains. And we are not meant to. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I can't get more on point than this. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let me just read that again, because I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it and know this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This spirit, what Jesus did, established this relationship of reconciliation. This relationship of, we call him daddy. Abba is Greek. Abba is Abba. Abba, it's Greek little kid for daddy. It's like dada. It is the first utterances. You don't do that to a slave. You don't embrace that word from a slave. You embrace it from sons, you embrace it from daughters. We were not giving the spirit to fall back into slavery. We were given it so we can understand our place as sons and daughters. Number two, fear is not the spirit we are supposed to be operating out of. Does it sound like I'm reiterating points already? I am. So Second Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, seven. this is like basically the unofficial logo of Summit Church, but it set me free, so praise the Lord. It says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control i want to read that again so we can hear it. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And when I was praying about this and asking God, what do you want to tell them, I thought of Peter. I thought of this, it's one of Jesus's top five. You know what I mean? Top three. It's the guy that's like, I'm going to build my church on you, Pete. <laughs> it's that guy. We're so cool, I'm changing your name. <laughs> that's how cool of a relationship we have. I'm changing your name now. You're Peter. And I think about this guy who he walked with Jesus for the three years of ministry. He he saw the miracles. He taught in his name. He saw miracles in his name. He cast out demons in his name. He walked on water by faith. And I was thinking about this man, and I was thinking about what happened with him. Because he's also the guy that denied Christ. In Matthew 26, verses 31, etc., it says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him. Peter always answers first. He's bold. He had that anointing before he got hit with the Spirit. Peter answers first. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And I believe he meant it when he said it. It says, Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, I imagine he's looking into his eyes. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter's character was this brazen, bold dude that Jesus asked him a question. He's the first one to answer. He's the first one to take a risk. He's the first one to go out. And when he said all of you guys were me, he said, not me, I'll die first. Not me, I love you. Not me, I won't do it bless you. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. He freaked out. They captured Jesus. He freaks out. And I believe that the denials are a fear reaction because you can see how it behaves like fear. You can see it. He goes up to these guys. Hey, aren't you, aren't you with the Galilean? Aren't you with Jesus? No, that's not me. No, isn't that you, your accent? No, no, that's definitely not me. Little girl said, I'm pretty sure he starts cursing out a little girl. Why does he do that? Dude was afraid. He sees the girl as a credible threat. He's all twisted up. He's all messed up because he's afraid. So after he denies them, the rooster crows, it says in Matthew 26, 75, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We already see the repercussions of that fear and of that doubt and of that thing that killed his faith. We see it because immediately he goes into that shame-guilt spiral. He goes out and weeps bitterly. He doesn't roll a single, this was my land, tear. He is weeping uncontrollably in the dark somewhere. Do we get that? And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking that sometimes we live in this space too. Because I think Peter, what was he afraid about? And what are we ever afraid about? afraid about this man or this woman that tried to get in his way, afraid of self-preservation, fear of persecution, fear of what the future will be if he makes these choices not to deny Christ, to stand up for what he was doing, fear that he can't make it by himself, and fear that maybe this time, seeing Jesus arrested, that maybe this time, Jesus wouldn't be enough. And we still live there as if Jesus is still under arrest. We live there as if Jesus didn't know he was going into that just so he could die, reconcile us, and come back. We go thinking that like, oh, Jesus must still kind of be in chains somewhere, right? We don't think that? Then why do we act like it? Why are we so afraid when we hear all the place this God loves us, He provides for us, He cares for us. Oh, but this situation this is this is too much. Or this situation God doesn't God doesn't hear it. Because we think that this time Jesus won't be enough. Or we try to do that thing of we try to prove it where things have gone wrong in our life before. I had 18 years of nightmares, six a night where time is all relative. I felt like I lived six lives in the time I lived this one. Every day I felt tormented. Every day, it got to the point where I went through bouts of insomnia because I prayed and I took caffeine and energy drinks, begging to God that I wouldn't fall asleep because I just couldn't deal with it. And surely sleeplessness has to be better. I went 18 years like that. But I didn't say, and I'll never get better. People, when they finally brought it to my attention, let me pray for you. I'll receive prayer every time. Change this up. I'll change it every time. I just want to be free of this. And what I could have said was, no, 18 years, Jesus has proven he wasn't enough here. He must be in chains. That's why I'm in chains. And we treat it like that, and we can get afraid that maybe this God who's all-powerful, this God who on paper we believe everything he can do. But in our hearts we say, yeah. In our hearts, we say, I don't know if that's true. In our hearts, in that subconscious place, we can say, I am still afraid that he won't come through for me. And if Peter sees his God arrested, the God of miracles, his Lord, that through his name and by his power, he did all of these amazing things. He sees that guy arrested and he gets afraid. And we forget also that Jesus gives peace. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is Jesus saying this. He leaves his peace, not just peace, his. The peace he had to change the world. The peace he had to still change the world. Not as the world gives. It's not fleeting, it's not temporary, it's not weak. He says, don't let your heart be troubled and neither let them be afraid. And the thing that killed me when I was thinking about this this week was this was Jesus, one of his best friends. It wasn't just that Jesus was his Lord. This is one of his best friends. They ate together. They camped out together. They faced a bunch of stuff together. And I think about my best friends and I think about the heartbreak of like, if they're in trouble and if I just deny them and run away. This was his friend. Yeah, he wept bitterly. Yeah, he felt it. I love when Jesus comes back. One of the first interactions he has with Peter, he takes him aside. And in John 21, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, coward. Hey, what the heck is that about? Hey, what are you doing here? He doesn't say any of that. He takes him aside. In John chapter 21, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I like that Jesus also likes to reiterate points. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I think it's interesting that what Jesus does to deal with this. This guy was so afraid. This guy essentially betrays him in his own way by denying everything. And he runs and everything. And what Jesus decides to do is take him aside. And three times, as if to purge and make up for all the things that came before with the three denials, three times he says just, do you love me? I like that he doesn't say, do you believe in me? I like that he says, are you not afraid of me anymore? I don't know. I like that he just doesn't say, will you not deny me anymore? All he says to his, one of his best friends is, do you love me? This is the third time he broke his heart because the third time he realized what Jesus was doing. So what happens? Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 2, the night of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Peter has now come from a place of being weeping bitterly to being a place where Jesus has gone to him. It says, do you love me? I still have work for you to do. He says, do you love me? I'm not holding what you did against you. Do you just love me? It's not about being afraid. It's not about fighting the fear. It's about, do you love me? And so the spirit hits Peter, that same spirit that's in us as believers. And by the way, after the church did all this stuff, they were already still being persecuted for following Jesus. After he died, came back, all that stuff, they were still wanted men. The threat was still as real, if not more so. That, threat, that same threat is still real. In the moment of Pentecost, thousands gathered around his doors. And Peter is the first one in the whole crew. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwelt in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Peter stands up against a crowd of thousands, some that undoubtedly want to persecute him, some that undoubtedly, who is this guy? Does he work for that Jesus guy that we just killed? The threat is still real, but notice that when the Spirit's on him, and after Jesus ministered to him, all he says is he gets up and testifies. He gets up, and the rest of that chapter, you should read it because it'll build your faith like a lion. All he says is he shares the gospel of Christ He says everything that Jesus did All of a sudden he just pulls all these references From old school scripture, the prophets, the law And he says all of this points to God In Acts 2.41 It says, so those who received his word Were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls What do we notice about Peter here? Peter, when he still operated under a spirit of fear, was in the dark alone, weeping bitterly, tormented by guilt, shame, and the decisions he made. Peter, after being ministered to by Jesus, him that just, Jesus got to speak. You know what's cool about Jesus? He knows that everyone's going to deny him. And knowing that, way early on, he still looks at Peter and says, on you I build my church. I still choose you. I still pick you. He knew what was going to happen. He was still chosen because he loved him and believed in him and knew the call he had for his life. Do we get that? Jesus comes into his life, and suddenly Peter is not afraid anymore because he sees the crowd around him, and he knows the power of the Spirit, and he knows that he is loved. And 3,000 were added to his number. It says 3,000 were also baptized. These people just didn't do the casual sinner's prayer. These people got dunked. 3,000. This took some time, and Peter did it with these guys. This is the spirit we have in Christ, the one that mobilizes us and lets us speak the things of God. How is this possible? Number three, love casts out fear. 1 John 4 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. we really need to understand this because otherwise we will condemn ourselves more than God condemns us and we're the ones that put it on him. You know what I mean? We're the ones that hurt him and we condemn ourselves more for some reason. He gives us this amazing gift because he's a good, good dad and it was paid at a high, high price and sometimes without wanting to, we reject it and take back on the spirit of slavery, the spirit of fear, you know? And I love what First John says. I'm just going to read it again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It's not only that there is no trace of love, or there's no trace of fear in love. It's that what does love do? It casts it out. That means when I'm loving perfectly, fear's not even part of the equation. It gets thrown out. Notice what Jesus says to Peter. Do you love me? The Spirit's in him. Do you love me? Days later, is that the guy that was denying Christ and ran away and wept after a little girl confronted him? Yeah, it's the same guy, but he understands he's loved. And he understands that with love, it casts out fear. We don't just fight fear. We pray that we get perfected in love and fear is cast out as a byproduct. Why are we fighting anxiety? Why are we fighting fear when we should be praying, let me just love them. Let me just know that I am loved first. Verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. If there is no fear in love, isn't love where we want to be? If love casts out all fear, shouldn't we try loving and not trying to cast out fear? (laughs) Do we see what's going on here? And I think about my own life and I think about all the times that I let fear take the place of when I should have been loving. And there are times it still happens. I got delivered from all that nightmare stuff. Praise the Lord. And it was mostly because I just spent time praying on Second Timothy and luckily I had friends that were kept continually praying for the nightmares. And on the wings of prayer and on the truth of that scripture of just I don't have a fear to spear, so I'm going to stop living like I have the spirit of fear. We meditate on the word. <laughs> but I think about the times when I've still been afraid. I don't really want to show this, but I think I'm supposed to. <laughs> you guys remember Avengers 2 night? Remember that? Earlier that day, and again, it was the day after a crux where Andrew had this awesome point of just like, we go out and we love them. That's it. We go out and we do it. We don't make excuses. We're leaders in the body of Christ. We're all ministers. We go out and do it. So I pray, I pray, God, send them my way. If you can give me the power to heal them, send them my way. If you can give me the power that when I'm by them, they feel loved by you and they can hear your gospel, then send them my way. I'm ready. I'm open. Throw me the ball. The very next day, I walk out of a the theater because I was seeing another movie earlier that day and there was a girl collapsed on the floor. Her father's freaking out, yelling at managers. Her mom's on the ground crying, calling the hospital. Her sister is just an inconsolable wreck. And I feel in my heart, pray for healing for this girl. And I look and I see it and I just say, ah, there's a whole family here. The dad's clearly stressed and it looks like he can beat me up. <laughs> what could happen, God. Let's see, God's the person that says, go do it. I think he's already made a way for that situation. But what did I choose to do? I choose to be, who am I? And instead of saying I'm a beloved son who's just following dad, I said, healing God, and kept walking. And I got halfway down the theater aisle, or not halfway, like basically to the lobby. And I was like, God, please just heal her. God, my heart hurts. God, what's happening? And literally, God just turned my love on. And instantly, I just felt I just felt how much this family loved her. And I just felt the pain and the fear and the franticness going through this whole family. And I literally just started weeping in the lobby. And at that moment, I said, I love them. And I said, whatever, I'm gonna turn around and go. And I turned around and I'm just praying, God, oh, bring healing, bring healing. I'm like walking up to her and I see her pop up. And her dad's like, what are you doing? He's like, I feel totally fine. God healed her and that's awesome. But this wasn't a total victory because how would it look when I walked up? By the way, yeah, God just healed that. Versus... I'm with them. I missed the opportunity to minister. She still got healed, praise the Lord. But I missed the opportunity because I was afraid. And it was only a second before God turned my love on for them, but I it was enough time that I missed a chance to really, you know, cater to them with the gospel. And I was really broken up by that. And I was really screwed up by that. And I bumped into Taylor, who was like a rock and like two men in one. And he just and he just he just encouraged me and he was just praying for me. And he's just like, because I was really upset, and he's just like, you need to let this break your heart. And I basically just, I kept getting in this place of like, I literally just heard a message on this yesterday. I'm a leader. I have to live like an example. And plus, God loves them, and God told me to do this. Why didn't I do it? He said, don't condemn yourself, but let this break your heart. Because next time, you will not let that happen. And so what happened next time? Next time was National Day of Prayer. Who was that National Day of Prayer? Do you remember homeboy in the back? His name was Tim. He was kind of talking to himself. Yeah, some of you guys were at my table. You know what I'm talking about. There's this guy, he comes in. He looks like he's off the streets. He looks really banged up. He's got one of those eyes that's kind of milky and sort of doing its thing. And immediately I'm just like, is this guy demonized? Because he's like talking to himself and freaking out and running in and out. And I'm like, immediately get afraid. I immediately get paranoid. I immediately get like, what the heck is this guy doing? What do I do? Because immediately God's like, go talk to him. I'm like, ooh, This is a national day of prayer. Shouldn't I be over here at the front doing front stuff? Like, all my excuses come to nothing, but I let fear take over again. And the whole service, I'm trying to engage in worship, but every time I go, I hear God say, go talk to him. I was like, all right. And I talked to him. I introduced myself. His name was Tim. I couldn't get a read on him. And I was afraid because I'm like, I don't even know how to talk to someone like this. I don't know if I can do it. Am I going to make it worse? Is he going to understand me? What? And I get so afraid, what's going to happen, what's going to happen And I forget that God said, go talk to him So I talked to him, and I was like, okay, bye And I left And God's like, you're not done, you're supposed to pray for healing And I was like, oh God, that's so much more awkward, God, I'm afraid God, I don't, whatever And the service has ended, and there's an awesome Spiritual mother and father of the faith in the room they go over and minister to him, I'm like, oh, so you got him off the hook You sent someone else, okay, cool And God's like, you're not done And I was like, why, you know and then at the end, I feel like God was just, I, I heard Taylor's voice. I hear Taylor saying, you're not going to let yourself do it again. And I was like, the only reasons I'm not going up to him is I'm afraid of what this looks like. I'm afraid of what I'll say. I'm afraid it's going to do nothing. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that it's just going to be weird. And sometimes that fear is enough to just stop me from taking an action of faith. But what I didn't said was I walked over and I got to pray for healing. and I got to just pray over him it was the first time in those three hours that he stopped shaking. He stopped darting around. He stopped talking to eight different versions of himself and he just closed his eyes, opened his hands and the only things he said was just, thank you, Jesus. And as long as I kept praying for him, there was a peace over him that was it. And I finished praying for him and something really weird happened. I realized I just loved this man. I was no longer like, this guy's kind of gross. Like that's a horrible thing to think, but I'm confessing that because we do this. I no longer thought that. I thought, I love this man because my God loves this man. And I don't know what happened to him, and I don't care what happened to him, but I know his God is his healer, and God loves him. And so I didn't even ask God if I was supposed to leave yet. I just wanted to stay. And there was a couple times where he just kept looking up at me as if to say, why are you still here? And then what happened? We had awesome men like just John. We had awesome men. Like a bunch of people just showed up and sat at this table with me. And there was moments where this man, Tim, just looked around and just saw these awesome men of God sitting next to him. And they weren't looking at him like, what do we do with this guy? It was just, they were just sitting and being with him. And he just kept looking around and he like nodded. And I was like, God, like John, or Tim, can we pray for you again? We laid hands on him. We got to pray for him again. And what did he do? For the second time in three hours, he stopped freaking out. And he just had this peace over him. And he looks and he says, someday I'll have a new body. And he starts crying. And we got to minister to them and say, this guy understands his God. This man's here for a reason, and I was meant to love him. He was meant to know that there were brothers around who he hadn't met, but he's part of the family of God. And no matter what happened to him, he has family. And I almost didn't do that because I knew nothing about him, and I was afraid to follow what God told me. And the only difference was, I'm not going to do this next time. The only difference was I loved him. And by the end of that, I literally was just praying out without even thinking, I am honored to know this man. I'm honored to sit by him. I'm so thankful I got to know him. And I wasn't being pandering. I was just, I do. I am honored to know him. I am blessed to call him brother. It turns out he got in a serious accident, got crazy brain damage. He's a miracle. And I almost walked on by because I was so afraid. This stuff still happens. But it happens so much when I don't focus on love and I just try to fight the fear. I fight those mental battles, and you know what? 99% of the time, I lose those. You know what helps me win? God, give me your heart for them. God, break my heart for them. God, let me know I'm loved. When I know I'm loved, I realize that that love is for absolutely everyone. When I am loved, that overflows. That's why it says he loves us first. And when that doesn't do it, you do that second trick of, give me your heart for them. When God engages me with love, I watch fear fall off. It is no longer a battle. It is no longer this torment. It is no longer this struggle that we push away in the dark and pretend we don't have it. It falls off because love is perfected, and the function of love when it's perfected is to cast out fear. So what we're going to do, bringing it to a close, I really feel like God just wants to. Just, Jesus wants to just set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I believe that there's a lot of us who have the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of us that have done this rodeo for a while now, but we still indulge the spirit of fear. We still indulge the spirit of anxiety, as if it's stronger, just because sometimes it feels like it. When a God that screams out from the pages, from our wise counsel, from the Spirit Himself, I am stronger. I am good you call me Abba I bought that and my love cast this out so I want to invite people to join me tonight this might not be everyone but if it's you I encourage you to do this because he came to set us free he came to deliver us from every spirit that's not the Holy Spirit did we get that? You know what happens when Christians indulge other spirits other than the Holy Spirit? Not the will of God. <laughs> that should be convincing enough. And this is going to be hard, so bear with me for a second. But what I want to call us into is repentance. You might be asking, repentance? That's kind of weird. Is fear of sin? Uh huh. And why is it a sin? Because we deny what God says he is. He says, I am your loving father. I will feed you. I will provide for you. Love casts out all fear. Rely on me. He says all these things. And if we say, yeah, but I'm going to be afraid, we tell him your will's wrong and we don't do it. We engage in another spirit. That is something we need to repent for. So right now, we're going to try something. I've never done something like this, so. This is going to be experimental, which I'm excited. Wherever you're at, yeah, we're just going to invite the band back to get some ambiance so it's not as everyone's hearing every single person's word. But I want, to, I want to encourage you guys to pray out loud if this is you. I want to start by just like everywhere in the room. It might be chaotic, but you're not paying attention to people around you. You're about to have a love encounter. You're not paying attention to them yet. You need to be loved first. So right now, I just wanna encourage you, just repent, for like, ask God, where are the areas of fear in my life? Where are the areas of anxiety in my life? Where are the areas where I say, no, God, you're not enough? Where are the areas where I say, your provision is not enough? You as a father is not enough. Where are those areas that I'm saying that? And most of you guys are awesome, God-fearing men and women, so you might not think you say that. That's why I'm asking you to pray. Where are these areas? Show me so I can repent. Show me so I can say, I am wrong. You are better. I will not be afraid. Because the spirit you gave me is not a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Just right now, while we're doing it, I encourage you to just pray. God, I'm sorry for not listening to you when you just say, go over and introduce yourself. God, I'm sorry for doing that mental math of I know how every scenario is gonna go, so why even try? Oh, because the Holy Spirit's there and it's different than I think. My ways are not his ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts. I repent because sometimes I think they are. I repent that I'm worried about tomorrow. I repent that I just don't think it's enough sometimes. I repent that even now I think this is just flowery words. No, it's not. I repent because there are so many areas that even though you've delivered me and you've proven yourself over and over and over again that you are my savior, I still doubt you. Over and over and over again, I still think that you're in there in chains somewhere. As if you weren't strong enough for me. I repent because I am wrong. I repent because sometimes I'm afraid. And don't feel shame, guys. Don't feel guilt. God's inviting you (laughs) to just be reconciled. That is what this is. And literally, I confess something that happened two weeks ago, and I'm a leader in your community. We still stumble, but what did I have? I had my community. I had my brother that spoke truth into my life even after this, if it's like, I'm afraid, and then everything must have been for not. No, God's doing a real work right now. God's doing a real work in your hearts right now. But we got to be wise, because this stuff still tries to come up, and we have to reject it. So God, we repent. Yeah, all over the room right now, God, we just ask that you just hear us, God. You hear our cries for repentance. You hear our cries of God. We don't know it all. God, we are wrong. God, there are so many other people that just need to know your love. And the more I focus on that, the more I'm not even afraid anymore. I don't even care. I can live another second or a hundred years. I don't even care as long as they know they're loved by you. And I repent for not listening to you. Because that's the only way we reach there. That's the only way that revival happens, the church moves forward. We fulfill all those good things He's set aside. if We listen to what God says. So I repent when I say you're wrong. I repent when I close my ears, but at the same time, my lips beg to hear from you. I repent, God, we repent. The next thing is that we're just gonna rely on Jesus. (laughs) We've repented, we've confessed our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us of sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We rely on Jesus because his blood paid for this. It's not like we're asking for something he hasn't already given. He said, this is what I do. This is practically my job. I am your savior because you need saving. I am a father because you need fathering. So right now, all around the room, I want you to advise you to just say this with me. Just repeat after me. Jesus, your blood is enough. I believe that you cleanse me from this. I believe that you deliver me from fear and anxiety. I believe that you love me. I believe that you gave everything for me. And I believe with my whole heart that that will always be enough for me. And I will no longer listen to the spirit of fear that gets in the way of the Holy Spirit you gave me. From this day on, I break my tie to the spirit of fear and I have only the Holy Spirit in me. Love me, God. We've repented. We've cried out that Jesus clothes us and covers us and begged him to show up. And the last thing to do to seal it is we just start moving in the opposite spirit of fear. So I want you to just say this out loud with me if you're still tracking. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Variation of 1 Peter, it says, casting all of my anxieties on him. I do this because you care for me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, and you love me perfectly, and I receive that, Jesus, and I say that that's true, and I say that I will start believing that more than all the lies I indulge from the spirit of fear, amen. Thank you, guys. I'm just going to pray and just declare a couple more things over you, and then we'll transition. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is our God that can uphold us in his hand. Do we call him a liar? Do we say we're afraid that he's not enough? No, absolutely not. I will fear not because you are with me. I will not be dismayed because you are my God. You will strengthen me. You will help me. You will uphold me in your righteous arm. God, bless your people tonight. God, thank you tonight. Thank you, God, that you delivered us from the spirit of fear and anxiety and past doesn't need to define us, that all the lies we believe don't need to define us, that the sleeping disorders, the insomnia, the depression, the fear and everything we've made this don't define us. They're broken because of the blood of Jesus. We thank you, God, that you set your people free. We thank you, God, that these are promises we rely on, that we stack our lives against it in such a way that if it's not true and if it's suddenly gone, we fall. We rely on them like it's holding us up, like it's giving us breath. Let me tell you something else. Not only did God deliver me from our, my nightmares, when I started to believe this and declare this truth over my life, how many of you have actually seen me breathe into one of these paper bags? God heals, God delivers. It's the Holy Spirit in us. In the garden, He breathed life into our lungs. He's still breathing. Thank you, God. Bless your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.